Lord, now we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and help us to hear the word and to apply it to our lives. I pray that your word would go forth despite the frailties of the messenger today and that it would be a word that would encourage and challenge us today. And I pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. So I'm a big fan of family history. Um, I love looking into genealogies and my family. I'm kind of the keeper of the family stories and I know that I have the family stuff that gets passed down and nobody seems to want it, but it's too valuable to throw away. I'm the guy that keeps all that stuff. And um, even my kids gave me a, a genealogy thing for, for Christmas this year so I could do even a little better job researching our family uh, history and things like that. And sometimes we ask questions like, like who am I and, and where is my citizenship and where is my belonging and where am I the connected to? And if I go back into my history, I look back and I, I find out that half of my uh, genealogy is from Germany. I'm three-eighths Norwegian and an eighth Swedish, and so you can break it down like that. Um, I'm also a citizen of the United States, right? So that's part of my identity and where I'm connected. I'm, I'm a lifelong Minnesotan. I spent my whole life in Minnesota, never lived away from here. So that means something, right? I got the Minnesota nice and all the, you know, oof does and all that kind of stuff that comes from being in Minnesota. I grew up my whole life from birth until I went off to college in a town called Owatonna. And so I have a lot of identity from being from that town. And my friends and I will talk about being Oatanans and what does that mean. I'm a Paulson, and back where I grew up, that meant something. Um, big family and extended family all in that area. So being part of that family meant something. Now I'm a Duluthian, right? And when you're a Duluthian, anytime there's a snowstorm, your family all texts you and say, how are you guys doing up there? Are you okay? Is everything all right? And you send pictures of your backyard saying, my yard's worse than your yard, all right? And so we find our identities in all kinds of different ways. All these interesting ways of considering our belonging, our loyalty, even our citizenship. And then Jesus comes along in John chapter 18, verse 36, and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So if I'm part of his kingdom, does that make me an exile in this world? And has his kingdom become the most important identity for me? Or are some of those other things I just listed off sometimes more important? And then the question is, what does any of this have to do with Jeremiah chapter 29 in our series in the thread? So what I'm hoping to do this morning is to kind of help us make that connection about what does... Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 have to teach us about how we're to live in a world that we are not of. We are part of a kingdom that's not of this world. And what does it mean to be in this world, but be in exile and trying to live out our faith in a world that maybe isn't where we belong for all of eternity, right? So what we're going to do is take a look at Jeremiah 29 and try to take some principles out of that and see if we can connect them with our lives today. So let me just give you a little bit of background. Jeremiah 29, uh, Jeremiah, the whole book, is being written uh, during a time when Judah has been taken off into exile into Babylon. Now, because of Judah's rebellion, that's the southern kingdom, if you've been with us for our thread, the kingdoms of Israel split. There's a northern kingdom that's already been taken off into exile. Now the southern kingdom, because of their rebellion and unfaithfulness, they're eventually going to be taken off as captives and exiles as well. And they're going to be taken off by the Babylonians, who are now the ones that are in charge. So the passage we're going to look at today is the prophet Jeremiah in, in 29. He's going to be saying to the people that have been taken off into exile. He's going to be talking to the priests. He's going to be talking to the 
the prophets and the leaders, the elders of the people, and he's going to be telling them what's going to happen to them and what's going to happen during the time of exile and what God desires of them while they're in exile. So he's going to start off by telling them, I'm, as the prophet Jeremiah, I'm telling you, as leaders of the people, off in exile, what's going to happen to you. And one of the things he says is that they're going to be in exile for 70 years. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to start in, in verse 4, and I'm just going to kind of read these verses, and then we're going to take them and break them down a little bit and hope that you can kind of see what God's calling his people to do as they're living in exile. This is what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is verse 4, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for, it, for its welfare, for you in its welfare you will find welfare. Jeremiah, a prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking for God, says to the exiles in Babylon, to, focus, to, to not focus on their captivity, to not focus on their exile, to not focus on how to obtain their freedom, to not focus about how they can get back to Judah, he essentially says to them to submit to their captors and to begin to build a life there. Totally counterintuitive to how we might think someone should be thinking after they've been taken off into exile. Let's break it down and just see what he's saying here verse by verse. Verse 5, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. You've been taken off into exile. Now, he says, build a house. Build homes. A house is a usual place of security, right? Usually when we think of a home, it's a place of security. There's a, a degree of comfort. There's a degree of permanence. You're not going to build a house if you're going to leave next month, right? You're going to build a house if you're going to stay there for a while. And so he's telling them to, to do things that are more permanent, he says, live in them and actually make improvements. Build a garden. Gardens that produce something that you're going to eat because actually you're going to be there for a while. And so if you put something in the ground in a few months, you're still going to be there and you're going to eat the produce of that. And so he says, start to settle in and start to make a life there. And then he uses a very practical in verse 6. He says, get married. Have sons and daughters. And take, your, take wives for your sons. They're, they're going to actually grow up and be there long enough to get married. And give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. And this is really interesting. He says, while you're in exile, multiply there. Do not decrease. He says, you're called to live the normal routines of marrying, having children. In fact, multiply. Do not decrease. You could see where the temptation would be like, hey, we're off in exile. This is really hard stuff. We're being enslaved by a foreign power. Maybe one of the things is, why would we bring children into this world? Why would we bring children into this situation? But he's telling them, essentially, while you're living in Babylon, they're to proceed with life just like they were back in Judah. They're not supposed to do it differently. This is really fascinating when you stop to think about it. He's saying all the things that you did in Judah... Married, built houses, had gardens, had children. Do all that while you're in exile in Babylon. And then he says something super profound. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. 
verse 7, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Saying, while you are in exile, not only are you to go about life, getting married and having kids and building houses and having gardens, you're supposed to pray for the welfare of your captors. You're supposed to pray for the welfare of Babylon. This is crazy stuff from a human standpoint. You would think that if you're captured by another nation and taken into exile and you're being oppressed, you should, how do you get free and how do you make sure that they pay for what they've done? But God's kingdom is often way upside down from how we see things. There's a great book written back in the day called The Upside Down Kingdom. And it reminds us that God sees things differently and his kingdom is upside down how he sees things. And this is what he says. If we look at that verse and slow it down and take it apart bit by bit, first he says, I've sent you there. What? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. I'm the one that sent you to Babylon. God sent them there. It's hard sometimes for us to accept that God works in ways that don't doesn't always fit how we see things. It's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around that idea that God is doing something that doesn't seem fair to us, doesn't seem right. But God sends them into exile. Watch this. It's really interesting. God sets, sends them into exile for two reasons. One, to get their attention because they had been rebelling towards him and been turning away from him. But two, it tells us in this verse, for the welfare of the Babylonians... Because the Babylonians matter to God too. And so he sends the Israelites into exile, one, to get their attention so that they might repent and come back to him, and two, that while they're living there, they might be a benefit to the Babylonians. This is really different than how we see things sometimes. It's an upside-down way to see things. It's the upside-down kingdom, the upside-down way that God does things and sees things because he sees things in its totality while we see them in just what we see in the presence. Now let me connect this verse to both backwards on the thread and then forward on the thread. Backward on the thread, we can go back to Genesis chapter 12. And this is when God tells Abraham that all the families of the earth shall be blessed through his offspring. The people of Israel were to be a blessing even to their enemies. And now to be sure, God will say in Genesis chapter 12 that he will deal justly with the oppressors of his people. Don't forget that. He will do that, but God will be the one that will do that. God will deal with that. God's people, while they were in exile, were to be a blessing, even when they're suffering, even when they're struggling, even when they're in exile. So God is saying, let me take care of the justice part. You do the part that I'm asking you to do, and that's to be a blessing to all the nations. Now jump forward in the thread, and you have Jesus saying things like this in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's radically different than how we might want to think and how the world sometimes tells us to think. He's saying, you love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. Even in exile, the people of God are to act like the people of God. They were to act like they were God's people using his principles and his direction even when they were in exile. So both sides of the thread, back in Genesis 12, and then in the New Testament when Jesus comes along and says these radical ideas 
about loving people who persecute you and loving people who hate you, we're, we're seeing that God's people were to bless those who are around them, no matter what was happening to them personally. Now, why all this in verse, verses 4 and 7, and, and why we're going over this and why this is important, and I, I like to say usually somewhere in my message, if you've lost me, come on back, okay? Because a lot of words, a lot of ideas, come on back now and, and hear, hear what we're saying. This is so important, and this is why I want you to come back to hear this this morning. God is on the throne. This is what we're trying to see in verses 4 through 7. This is what God is trying to let his people know. He is on the throne, and he is sovereignly in control. He is unchanging and is the same, regardless of whether his people were living peacefully in Judah or in exile in Babylon. Do you see the point? Regardless, God was still sovereign. God was still in control. God is still the same. Even when they were living in luxury and peace and rest, or when they're living out in exile in Babylon, God has not changed. And that's really important. That's crucial for us as well. And God is saying to his people in exile, live your lives because I'm still here. I've not abandoned you. I still have a plan for you. There is a purpose for you even while you're living in exile. I'm gonna send you to Babylon for a while. But he tells them, don't listen to the prophets and those who say, that you're not gonna stay there very long. I'm sending you there for a while and I have a plan and a purpose in sending you there for 70 years. And then what was happening was as other prophets were coming along and they were saying, no, 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 Jeremiah's not right. And this is what these prophets said in verses eight through nine. They're thwarting the plan of God. God says, I send, I'm sending you off here to be a blessing to Babylon as well as hopefully changing your hearts and drawing you back to me but then other prophets were coming along and doing this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your div div diviners who are, who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. What's happening, another group of prophets are coming and going, no, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to get home really fast. Everything's going to turn really quick. Don't build houses. Don't plant gardens. Don't get married. And don't have kids because God's gonna send you back soon. And there are false prophets right there in their midst. This is Jeremiah 23, 16, back a few chapters. Do not listen, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hope. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And this is just an important principle that we always remember that God's people are always to listen carefully but to discern, and we're to discern through the word and through the spirit. And God is telling him, don't listen to these prophets, they're false prophets. Here's the truth of what's going to happen. Now he shifts gears again, he says, go plant yourselves in Babylon, make a life for yourself, don't listen to these prophets, and here's why. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He's essentially saying, stop fretting, stop worrying, stop scheming, stop being in despair, stop listening to these false prophets. In 70 years, I'll visit you. In 70 years, I will fulfill my promise, and I will bring you back. You can fight it, or you can build houses, get married, raise children, 
until I keep my promise and deliver you and bring you back. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope. He's saying to them in the midst of all this, now use your imagination and try to see the picture. People have been taken off into exile. They're sitting there trying to understand what is going on. Has God left us? Has God abandoned us? He has allowed us to be taken off into exile. There's a prophet that's coming and telling us to settle in and settle down and be a benefit to the people of Babylon. We've got other prophets telling us that's not the case. God's going to bring you home quickly. And God tells them exactly what he's going to do in verse 10. But then he tells them how much he cares for them and the fact that he has a plan. And he says, is saying to them essentially, you're my people. You're my people. I'm your God. I've not abandoned you. I have a plan for you, actually. A plan for your welfare, he's saying. A plan to give you a future. A plan to give you a hope. That, that's his actual words right there in verse 11. Now watch how this plays out, though. You think that it's going to be what, what, what was happening for the Israelites. They thought it was all about the land, about where they live. They thought it was all about having peace and no conflict. They thought it was all about political freedom and stability. And he says, I have a different priority for you. I'm going to come and I have this plan for you. You're off into exile and you're feeling isolated from me, but I have a plan for you. And here's what this plan is. And see how radically different this plan is from what they were thinking. Peace, stability in the land. Here's his plan for them. Then I'm going to call upon you. Uh, Excuse me. Then you will call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I'll hear you. His plan is that he's going to start to change their hearts so that they will come to him and to seek him and pray to him. He says, I'm going to do a work in you that will result in you calling upon me, you coming to me and seeking me, and you praying to me. And guess what? I'm going to hear you because I'm God. And guess what? Living safely and securely in Judah, you weren't doing any of those things. While you were living safely and secure in Judah, you were not calling upon me. You were not coming to me in prayer. You were not seeking me out. And he says, I'm going to do this in your heart, and I'm going to make this transformation, and I'm going to hear you. I'm going to be there when this happens, and I'm going to receive you back. And he says this in verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He says, I'm going to do a work in you in exile, which you had no idea, that that you had no way of conceiving that I could do this kind of work in your heart. And I'm going to work in you while you're in exile, and I'm going to cause you to seek me with all your heart. Can you see the difference, the picture? I'm living over here in Judah, and everything's going okay for me, and I'm doing my own thing, and I'm neglecting God, and I'm not listening to him, and now I'm off into exile, and God says, I'm going to work on your heart to such a place that you're going to seek me with all your heart. Not just kind of like, oh yeah, I think I'm in trouble, I'm going to need to seek the Lord. His Spirit's going to help them to seek him with all their heart. And he says, when you do that, you're going to find me. This is a beautiful, beautiful part about God. I don't know if any of you have had this with hide-and-seek. We used this story over at Chester Park. One of the moms was telling me one day when her little boy, when they play hide-and-seek, he always goes, Mom, I'm going to go hide over here. 
<laughs> so she can find him easy, right? She, he tells her exactly where, where he's going to hide. So mom counts to 10 and looks around for a while and then finds him. That's what God's saying. Hey, I'm not hiding from you. I'm standing right over here. When you look for me, you're going to find me. It's not going to be hard. You'll seek me and you'll find me. I'm not hiding. This is a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in the hearts of his people. He wants to work in such a place that we have a desire to seek him. And he'll stand right there and say, here I am. I'm right here. In Israel's case, he's going to say, you finally found me. Because you'd been neglecting me when things were good. Now off in exile, I'm turning your hearts to me. And you have now found me. Verse 14, it's beautiful. He says, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll restore your fortunes. I'll gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. They'll be found by the Lord. He declares it, and so it will be so. This is one of the things you have to remember in Scripture. When he declares it, it's going to be. And he declared it, I'm going to restore you. And I'll be found by you. It is going to happen. It is sure. It is declared. And so it will be. And he declares that he's going to restore their fortunes. And he'll gather them back from exile. So it will happen. It is going to be. It's a beautiful picture of what's happening in people in exile in a troubled situation, knowing that God has a plan for them, knowing that God cares for them, knowing that God has a purpose for all the things that they're going through. And in the end, he says, I'm going to bring you back. You're going to find me, and I'm going to bring you back. Now, the question is, what does all of this have to do with us today? Because this is a particular passage written in a particular context. Promises made to the people of Israel, God's people off in exile, a specific situation, particular time, particular place in history, which means that these promises are not made directly to us today, but they're principles that can help us understand how God operates and how God sees things. One commentator put it like this, this promise was made to ancient Jews under the Babylonian exile but they express the unchanging heart of God towards his people. The unchanging way that God has addressed his people for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. He's this kind of a God. Now, what does it mean for us to think about being people who are exiled? We are exiles with a different citizenship. Part of the thread connects us to the New Testament, and part of this part of the thread is helping us to think about the passages in the New Testament that talk about our citizenship, talk about our identity, talk about what should be our highest priority. Here are a couple of passages that I hope this will tie it together and help you see how this connects to the gospel and to the thread. Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter, the faith chapter, talking about all these great characters of the faith, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's one of the places we start to get this idea that we now as God's people in the new covenant, in the new Testament, are exiles living in a world that is not our home. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. These people in Hebrews 11 that they were talking about were exiles on the earth seeking a homeland, a kingdom that was beyond what we can see in the here and now. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Beloved, I, I urge you as sojourners, as wanderers and exiles to, obtain from, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. While you're living here, think of yourself as an exile, he says, a sojourner, a wanderer, wandering towards the heavenly kingdom. And probably the most powerful place is the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship, if you wonder where your citizenship is and what is the highest level of your citizenship, you think of all those things that I listed in my own genealogy, this is what Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if my citizenship is in heaven, I am not living there right now. And the New Testament gives us this picture that we are then exiles living in a land that is not our home, but we're here for a period of time. We're here for a while and for a purpose. And so what I want to do is kind of try to connect that with what we just looked at. And so here's some practical application. If I'm an exile living on a place called earth, waiting for my heavenly kingdom, as we live out our lives, we're to seek the welfare of the city. As I'm living this out here, I'm to be living it out in such a way that I'm seeking the welfare of the city around me, the welfare of the world that we live in. This is how one theologian, his name is Riken, this is what he says. Prayer and good works are all sorts of ways to seek the peace or the shalom of the city. Yet proclaiming the good news of God's rescue in Jesus, the Messiah, is also part of seeking the peace of the city. By themselves, random acts of kindness cannot bring enduring peace. The only basis for real and lasting shalom is the work of Jesus on the cross. So that's why we say at Rock Hill, we are here to declare the gospel and to display the gospel for the good of the city, for the good of the world that we live in, for, for the good of the people around us. See, this is good news to the people around us, whether they know it or not, because if I live out my faith, all of a sudden I'm doing things that are countercultural. So I sometimes help the lady next door with her driveway. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. You might want to just say I'm a nice guy, but that's not really, because some days I go, it is cold out, it is not nice out, I do not want to go over and help my neighbor. <laughs> but I do because Christ is at work in me. You see, there's a benefit for the city there's a benefit for the world around us when we live out our faith. But as exiles, we're to live out our lives to seek the welfare of the city. Second, we're to pray that God will give us hearts to seek him. I want to encourage you that you would spend time in this new year. What is your role in seeking the Lord? I think one of the biggest parts, our role is asking the Lord to give us a heart that would seek him. I can try real hard. I grew up in the church, so I know how, what it's like to try real hard at things, try real hard at trying to seek the Lord, grit my teeth, and have a list of here's how I'm going to read scripture, here's how much I'm going to pray, here's what I'm going to do, and this should help me seek the Lord. I've come to the stage in my journey where I've come to understand the best way to seek the Lord is to ask him to help me seek him. <laughs> to say, Lord, I need your spirit to change my heart so that I would seek you. And he tells us to pray and this is a spot for us, a practical application to pray that God would give us a heart to seek him. 
And then to rest and find peace in the fact that God has a plan. In the midst of all that we're going through as exiles, waiting for a heavenly kingdom, God has a plan for us. You're living here and now. I'm just going to ask you to do something really silly. Just take your hand and go like this for a second. Just do that. You're, you're here and now in flesh and blood. You are here in this time frame with the gifts and talents, with the health and the mind and the stage of life that you're in, and you're a real human being, and you're here for a purpose. And I want to encourage you to rest and have peace in the fact that God has a plan for your life. That just like it was God's plan for his people in Jeremiah's day to live in exile, God has put you here in the place that you're in for right now and the situations that you're in. This is where God has you. And he has a plan for you. God thinks about you. Isn't this interesting? When God says, I have a plan for you, that means God stopped and thought some things through for the people of Israel. And sought some things, thought about things about what was going to happen to them. David in Psalm 40 says this, your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. David is saying, God, you think about me. Isn't that astonishing? That's mind-blowing to me, that God would think about me. You know that whole list of things I just said, being a pulse and being from old time? All of those things are so inconsequential in a big, big world that we live in, right? And yet, Almighty God thinks about me and has a plan and has thought things through for me. He's busy with the universe. <laughs> but part of what he's busy with is the plans he has for you and me. And he has, he has thoughts are toward us, they're for us. You're not irrelevant to him or his plan. Right now in this very moment, he created and designed you, he loves you, he died for you, and he wants to work through you to bring glory to his name. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for us. That's good news today. That's the kind of God we see in Jeremiah 29, and we see it throughout the New Testament. And he's the kind of God that while you and I live in exile, says, I got plans for you. Some are going to be hard. I just had a friend who died Christmas Day. My age, we grew up together back home, fell off a roof. Christmas Day. I don't know. Funerals today, my siblings went to the review yesterday, and part of me just shakes my head. I haven't seen him for a few years, but we are good friends back in the day, and I just, I don't understand. I don't get it. Part of me just was like, on Christmas Day? You know, all those things that you, you've got those things going through your head, things that you've experienced and going through. God cares about all of it, and he has plans, and he is working, and that should cause us, while we live in exile, to rest. What I really wanted to do today, you guys, was this. I just want to invite you to take a deep breath and pray for God to give you a heart that will seek him, because you'll find him. I wanted us to take a deep breath and Pray that he would give you a heart that will seek the welfare and the peace of the city because that's his plan for us. That's why he put us here. I wanted you to leave today and pray for his peace and rest because he will keep his promises and he will give it to you. And I wanted you to remember that while we wait as exiles for his final kingdom to come, 
He will keep all of his promises, and he has a plan for us. And guess what? As we wait for the final kingdom to come, he'll keep that promise too. He'll keep that promise too. There will be a day when we will be in his presence for all of eternity. And Jeremiah 29 gives us a picture of what God's plan is for his people. He has a plan. He cares, even when we're in exile. I'm going to invite you to take a moment this morning, if you would just bow your heads and listen to what the Lord might be saying to you. I don't know what he wants to say to you this morning through this message, but would you just take 30 seconds and try to hear what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you this morning. Let's pray.